0: Let me invite your attention to the Gospel of Matthew in the 19th chapter. I will mention to you Romans chapter number 8, which we've been talking about now for several weeks. By now, you probably have that verse memorized, but Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now we've been in a series called that, More Than Conquerors, and today is the sixth subject that we're going to be dealing with. I want to speak to you today on the topic of our affluence. Our affluence. Now before I go too far in this we're going to stop and give you some definitions and talk about why this actually is a problem. I know what some of you are thinking, boy preacher I wish that was my problem. (laughs) Is that right? Well I want to say to you that not only is having it and trying to maintain it difficult but many times it is the pursuit of it that causes us the problems that we encounter. And so we'll talk more about that in just a minute. You'd be surprised how much that really does affect our, our people, our family, our, our church family, as well as uh, our domestic family. So we do welcome you here today. It is Family Celebration Day. Uh, The message is part of the series. I think it applies to the family. But when we talk about family and celebrating family, we're talking about not only celebrating our immediate family, but we're talking about celebrating the family of God that God has placed us in as a church. And so it's going to be a great afternoon, a great day. Hamburgers, hot dogs. We get to break ground on the pavilion site and uh, play a little kickball, beat the uh, teenagers up in kickball today. So we hope all of you stick around for that. We're going to have a great time. Before we do any of that, though, let's pray together, all right? Father, we come to you today, God, and we thank you for your word. We ask now, God, that you bless it. We thank you for what our ears have already heard, Lord, and our hearts have already felt in the time of worship. And Lord, we pray now that you'd minimize the distractions that can occur in a service like this. And God, I I am mindful of the fact that you said we are more than conquerors. And Lord, you know my heart and you know what you've laid on my heart, God. And I pray that you'd help us to realize that. And, and Lord, sometimes uh, issues concerning possessions and materialism and money, uh, a lot of times, God, that interferes with the victory that we can have on a daily basis. And I pray, God, that today you would speak to our hearts. We ask once again that the Holy Spirit be personal, powerful among us. In Jesus' name, amen amen so what exactly is affluence well Webster defines it as having an abundance of property or wealth having an abundance of property or wealth now maybe you don't classify yourself as that but honestly I think what happens sometimes is have you ever lived in a place and then after many years decided to move and, and as you were moving you thought where did I get all this stuff I really believe that part of the problem is we don't know what we have. Because God has blessed us so that even the poorest among us would be considered quite well to do in most areas of the world. And we don't always see it that way because of that pursuit that we sometimes have. Psych- uh, psychologists have done a study on what they call materialism. And they have defined materialism as this. Listen carefully. A value system that is preoccupied with possessions and the social image they project. That's a very interesting definition. Let me read it again to you. Let's leave it up just a moment longer. A value system which is preoccupied with possessions, and the social image they project. Some of us think that somehow uh, peer pressure is only uh, for the young. Well, I want you to know things... uh, uh, things may change, but the peer pressure is still there. I remember the day. Any of you remember the Hang 10 shirts? Can I get an amen? How about the Nehru jackets? Anybody recall the Nehru jackets? Uh, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. How about when Converse tennis shoes first really became the rage? I can get an amen. Now, our young people today say, Now, Converse, I got that. I got that. And they live in a different world, man. They're... Uh, they're um, uh, the things that they tend to go after and the things that are there a little bit different in the world that we live in today it's interesting that Forbes magazine did a an article about the generational differences. They were talking about young people today, how that debt is not a problem for them they uh, Many of them come right out of college with large amounts of debt. Debt seems to be much larger than any kind of savings account that they uh, that they have, largely because of an instant gratification drive in their life. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. An instant gratification drive in their life. Many young people today, young adults, uh, they won't have rent money, but they'll have the latest in the iPhone or the most modern technology that you can possibly have. They'll have that. They'll have that. They'll be standing in line for the latest pair of Jordans that come out. Uh, and and the amount of money that's spent doesn't seem to bother them as long as it's for that. Now, before too many of us get on to the younger generation, let me just stop for a moment and say that a study was done on Generation Xers, and the X X generation uh, makes more money than their parents made by far when their parents were at their age, and we have less to show for it. And one of the reasons we have less to show for it as Xers today, it's because we tend to purchase or the Xers tend to purchase things that are easily consumed. And one of the reasons they do that, I mean, it might be automobiles, it might be clothing, it might be eating out. One of the reasons why they spend so much money is to try to portray an image of success. Peer pressure continues, whether it's uh, a young person who's trying to have the Timbs boots or, the, uh, or whatever it may be that they're after or the latest style, or whether it's adults who are trying to live in a certain style house or drive a certain type of car. It still comes back to an idea that somehow our level of success, we think that somehow our worth is related to the sum total of the possessions that we have. And it is not. And it should not be. I came across this statistic and I thought this was interesting. As a matter of fact, I disagree with this statistic. But uh, it said uh, that 44% of all problems related to the home concerning stress in a relationship can be traced back to money. Financial stresses. You say, why do you disagree with that? I think it's more like 75% because I believe this, that the problems that financial stress causes are often not named as financial stress. Maybe there's been a, a, a problem with overworking and as a result of the financial stress, there, there's a breakdown in the home concerning the family structure. Maybe there's a, 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 an addiction that develops as a result of trying to escape. Why are they trying to escape? Why do addictions form? Why do pills become a dependency? Why does immoral immoral activity become a dependency? Largely because of the stresses that people go through just trying to keep up in life. And so I suggest to you that it's probably 75%. Now I feel pretty comfortable preaching on a subject that affects 75% of the problems we deal with. Because it is a matter we have to deal with. And it is a matter that God does deal with. And it is something we need to focus in on and understand we have been made more than conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us. You are already considered a conqueror over this thing, so we do not need to sit back and be conquered by it. And this whole message has to do with putting things in proper balance. And understanding it from God's point of view. And I think this is very important that we do. The New York Times uh, ran a featured article that America has, in America, 2.3 billion, that's billion with a B, 2.3 billion square footage of storage space in America. Someone did the calculations, I don't know how accurate it is, but they said you could take every person that lives in the United States and put them in the storage centers and have 7 square feet per person. 50% of the renters of storage space rent the space because they cannot fit the stuff in their homes. (laughs) Now what's interesting about that is the average home has increased now to 2,300 square feet. We got stuff, man. Would you say that with me? We got stuff. (laughs) There is no question. We've got stuff. And we don't have enough stuff. Some of us are like the little boy... The teenager who was sitting by his girlfriend by the fire, the campfire, and she reached over and, and smacked him right on the cheek, just gave him a little kiss. And he said, you know, he said, I got a sudden hankering for s'more. <laughs> the problem, some of you get it on the way home, don't worry about it. <laughs> the problem is we all want s'more. Doesn't matter what we've got, we want more. And more and more and more. Do you know the Bible even says that it's hindering your prayer life? As a matter of fact, uh, the Scripture says in James chapter 4 and verse number 3 that that we ask and we do not receive because we ask amiss that you may spend it upon your pleasures. What the Bible is saying is the reason why we don't get the answers to some of the things we pray for is because all our intent is is to stockpile it, to have more, to have more. There's an insatiable desire, uh, some people could call it a greed, I read the story of the two men who met each other out on the street and they had not seen each other in a while and one of them looked at his buddy he said you look awfully sad what's wrong? He said well he said three weeks ago he he said my uncle passed away and left me $50,000 and the guy said well I'm sorry that he passed but you know shouldn't you be happy? He said well two weeks ago he said my uh, cousin passed and he said I hadn't seen him in forever we were pretty close left me $95,000 and the guy said man said well shouldn't you be happy? He said last week he said my grandfather passed away, left me a million dollars. He said, "Man, I'm sorry, but you know, I don't understand. Shouldn't you be happy you got?" He said, "This week nothing." <laughs> greed, man, greed. You just got to have some more. That's what it amounts to. I just want more. Uh, the Bible is telling us in Matthew chapter 19 of a man that uh, we know this story as the rich young ruler. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16 if you'll look there with me. I want you to consider four things about this man with me. So let's take a look at the text. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 16 if you're there say I'm there. The Bible says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may, in, that I may have eternal life? Now now let me pause a moment. We're going to learn a lot about this guy as we read, but I want you to pick apart a little bit as we go and think about a few things. For instance, what Jesus says next, verse 17. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Tell me which ones I need to keep. Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Apparently, this guy is a pretty good guy. Would you agree? As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me when I read this text, Jesus does not say to this young man, you're a liar. Apparently, he has lived up to what he's saying. Because then Jesus just goes on in the conversation and and he says to him, verse 21, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, that word means complete, so allow me to say, if you want to be complete, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Very interesting statement. Let me draw your attention to this for what it's worth. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go sell what you have and bring me your money. He said, I want you to go sell what you have and go give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven, so then come and follow me. Very interesting thought that Jesus gave them. Verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So affluence... And the life of this young man made him choose, when it came time for abandonment, it made him choose his possessions over what the Messiah had just told him. Now, there is a reason behind all of that, and I'm going to get to it, but bear with me. Let's read on. There's more to the story. Verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard people say the eye of a needle was a gate uh, uh, in Jerusalem. And maybe some of you heard that story. And and it was difficult for a camel to get there because it had to uh, go through that gate. Because if it had any kind of burden on it at all, it had to lay it aside and get through. I've heard all of that. I don't really believe that's what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is, it's impossible now why would I say that because the text suggests it look on when the disciples heard it they were greatly astonished saying who then can be saved now that's an interesting insight you know what the disciples were saying we're all after riches God now I know that may be too real for us this morning we're all after more Lord so who then can be saved Since everybody is touched by money and money touches everything, then obviously everybody is moving toward that direction. So who then can be saved? And Jesus answered the question this way. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, God has to do a work in our life to get us to the point that we understand what it takes to trust in him. So let's do this. Let's let's go back in our text a little bit. I want to give you uh, four things about this man. The first thing we're going to look at, if you want to fill in your study sheet, is simply we want to look at how he lives. How he lives. Now the Bible tells us he had great possessions. Now the Bible doesn't say to us exactly how he got these possessions. So let us talk about that for just a minute. Maybe he inherited them. Maybe he was uh, the son of a very wealthy person. Maybe he, was one of the, uh, he would have been the first guy on, on uh, uh, Rich Kid's Instagram. He would have been uh, the guy taking a picture out by his yacht and, and posting it. He would have been the guy trying to incite all kinds of envy based on his possessions. And uh, he would have done like most of us do, and that is only post all the good stuff on Facebook. And And you would have seen all the stuff. And, and the idea behind this is he is a very well-to-do individual. I find this interesting, though, and I'm afraid it is true about us sometimes in the life that you and I live in, very relevant to our culture, and that is he appears to have sought worship only after he had sought wealth that wealth came first after he has his possessions now he comes to Jesus after he has all of these things now he comes to Jesus we'll come back to that thought in just a minute He lives a very moral life. There's no question about that. He is keeping the commandments, the ones that Jesus initially mentioned. He does mention another, however, and we'll come to that thought again as we approach that uh, soon. But the idea behind this is maybe maybe this young man got his, uh, his wealth by just working hard. After all, he comes to Jesus with what question? What can I do? Maybe he's got an excellent work ethic. Maybe he's the kind of guy who was, who was working from the time he was very, very young. And, and he's established what he's got. He's made good investments. Uh, maybe he bought Intel when it first came out. I don't know. And, and, but, but the idea is this. The idea is that, that this man, however he achieved his wealth, was very well to do. And he lived a good life. A moral life. But there is something that is absent in his life And after Jesus talks to him and says, have you done these things? He says, all these things I have done. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? That leads me to the second point I want to talk to you about. Not only how he lives, but how he lacks. There is something missing. Did you hear me? There is something missing. Wealth does not buy what we think it will buy. The divorce rate is just as high among the wealthy as it is among the lower income families. As a matter of fact, some have gone as far as saying that, that there may be more divorce occurring because of the problems of finances and the stress of finances among the lower income, but they can't afford divorce, and so they separate for a while and then end up getting a divorce. So there may be a little difference, but the fact is there is all sorts of financial stresses and unhappiness even among those who are in the upper echelon of the economic status. The fact of the matter is money does not buy happiness. If money could solve all of our problems, like some of us think, I ask you this simple question, why doesn't it solve all of our problems? It's because it can't. And it does not. You say, well, it sure solves a lot of them. Well, maybe that's the case, but the truth is, it cannot solve the problems. There is still something lacking in this man's life. In this man's life. And I want to suggest to you that what we try to do, is we try to fill that portion of our soul, that portion of our life, it's a God-sized hole, and we try to cram everything we can cram. We think that materialism is the answer. We think that possessions are the answer. We think that our self-worth, that's how we find who we are. And so we think that by by getting these things and acquiring these things and doing everything it takes to get those things, that somehow we're going to fill that need in our life, only we cannot fill it with anything other than a relationship with Jesus Christ a relationship with Jesus Christ I want to be careful with this because some might say pastor you're trying to say that God is anti-wealth that is not what I'm saying at all on the contrary wealth is anti-God if you have it because God gave it to you and God can use it in your life and you can use it for his honor and his glory That is a wonderful thing. Abraham received riches. Abraham was very rich. Very rich. God gave him the riches. There is no one more wealthy than Solomon ever was. No one will ever be more wealthy as far as the world's wealth than Solomon was. And God gave those riches to Solomon. So to say that God is anti-wealth is a mistake. That is not true. The problem is that sometimes wealth will make us forget God. Solomon gives us that picture, as a matter of fact, he's a great example, out of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number 2. Let me read a little bit of that text to you, if I may please, beginning in verse 4. I made my works great, Solomon said. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. You see, the truth of the matter is, we are not out to keep up with the Joneses. We are out to have more than the Joneses. No offense, Brother Johnny. (laughs) Verse number eight, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Now most of us would say, hey, if there's a text I want to be like, man, that is it right there. I'd like to be in that position. But listen to what Solomon says. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Verse 10. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Verse 17, same chapter. Therefore I hated life. What? You got everything, man. What do you mean? I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all his vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun. Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. You know that house you love so much? Somebody else is going to live in it one day. You know that car you love? Somebody else will drive it. Those clothes you wear and you think so much, somebody else will have them. Somebody else. We can't take any of this with us. And Solomon said, I reached, I reached that point. When I had reached the top and I was looking all around and, and I began to think about how distressing it was just to keep up with all that I now had, I began to realize something. He said, I began to realize I hated life because it was distressing. There was no answer. There was no peace of mind. It was the grasping for wind, he said. Affluence and the pursuit of it Something's lacking. There are all types of problems in the world that we face. People who are shopaholics. People who are thinking somehow that by having more and doing more, their worth is increased. If we look the part, it's what other people think of us that really matters. And, and, and that's what we say to ourselves. That's what we, we buy into. That's what we believe. And if we're not careful, uh, we, we run the risk of, of missing the worth that we should have from Christ Jesus and not in things. Sometimes we foster this with our children and we don't even know it. And we do it with this in mind. I'm providing for them a better life. What do you mean by better life? I don't know of anybody, and you may have heard this said before, who at the end of their life ever looked back and said, boy, I wish I had more money. But I'll tell you what many of them do say, I wish I had more time. What exactly do you think? What, what exactly is the definition of success? That's what it all boils down to. In our thinking, we've begun to, to buy into the lie that, that an affluent living is success. And anything that doesn't measure that is, is fallen short. And so we teach our children that they too need to pursue what we are pursuing. And they too need to spend no time with family and more time doing other stuff. And God somewhere gets lost in the middle of all of it. Something is missing. Dysfunction does not limit itself to households with lower income. Dysfunction can touch any family. Drug addictions and divorce rates and alcoholism. Maybe it's not the affluent life Maybe it's the pursuit of it or maybe it's the maintenance of it. But something somewhere along the line has got us to the point where we say, you know something, something is missing. And indeed, something is missing. So let me talk to you about number three on the list and that is, let us look at how he loves, how he loves. I'm reminded at this point of something I read this week that a there's a fine line between a long, drawn-out sermon and taking hostages. So I'm, I'm going to try to <laughs> be aware of that. We have some food for you today, though, so you won't be late to lunch. <laughs> How he loves. Do you remember what question Jesus asked the man back in our text? Matthew 19, verse 17. Look at it. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now did you catch the man never answers that question? Jesus went on to say, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So the man said, which ones? He never answers the question about why he called him good. Jesus said, do you know there's only one good and that is God? Here's what Jesus was doing. Don't miss this. This is very important. Jesus was giving this man an opportunity to confess that he believed he was the son of God. That's where eternal life comes from. This was never a works-based question. I want you to understand that. It was never something that you can do. It was who he is that matters. The answer was found in the question the boy never answered. It's about who Jesus is, not what you can do and he never even asks the or answers the question that Jesus asked. Why do you call me good? There's only one good, that's God. Implying, do you believe that I am the son of God? Do you believe I, I am who I said I am? Is that why you've come to me seeking eternal life? And so the boy gets way off, the young man gets way off on the subject now. Now he's talking about what he can do, not what God has done, but what he can do. And so he goes through a list and then he comes down, and the young man says, "I've done all of these." And so then Jesus calls on him. Listen, if, if you if you will catch this, you'll catch the whole the whole key to this whole understanding of this story. There's another commandment that Jesus hasn't mentioned until now. He doesn't quote it exactly like it was quoted, but it's here. He doesn't say it exactly like Moses recorded it, like it was when he gave it to Moses way back in the Book of Exodus. But it's here, and the and the the whole the whole thing is right here in this little. Phrase that Jesus gives, and he says, Go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You say, How is that a command? The command is the very first one listed Exodus chapter 20, and verse number 3 You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, the problem was what he loved. Did he love God? Did he love Jesus? Or did he love things? Well, I think that's probably self-evident from the study of the text. But the truth of the matter is, it was a matter of the first commandment. It was a matter of having something before God. Listen, you cannot come to God with everything else in your life. God is not going to accept our worship when he's included in our worship. He must be the one that we worship. He's first and foremost. Not among the first things of your life. Not to be included among all the other things you worship and do. So it is a question of what he loves. Let's talk about that for a minute out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with this text. Let's, uh, let's go there, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now godliness, beginning in verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, that's interesting. You see, here's the the thing we need to understand. Covetousness is the enemy of contentment. The whole concept of the s'more, if you will, the whole concept of of having more and, and, and attaining more, it's all about this thing of covetousness. It's interesting to me that a family that has very little can be content. And that in some cases, a family that has everything, you marvel at the fact that they're not content. It's because contentment doesn't come from all that we have. Contentment comes as a result of your relationship with God. Contentment comes from balancing what you have with who God is. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Some of you remember the old story of the man who made a deal with the death angel. You know, the death angel came to him and said, look, said, you got to get ready. God's calling you on home. And he said, oh, I got great possessions here. He said, I want to take something with me. And the angel said, no, you can't do that. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I wanted to. So finally he made a deal with him. He said, "Okay, if you'll convert everything uh, to one suitcase, then you can bring it. So the man figured out the best way to do that was to turn it into bricks of gold. And so he put bricks of gold in one suitcase, drug it up to the pearly gates. And Peter met him there. And he said, what do you got? there? He said, you can't come in here with that. He said, oh yeah. He said, I made a deal. The angel said it was all right if I did this. So he said, well let's see what you got. He opened it up and he's got uh, these gold bricks. He said, what, you brought pavement here? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of strange what we think is so valuable and we cannot take it with us. having food and clothing verse 8 said with these we shall be content but those who desire to be rich that's an important word those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition now here's a verse many of our many of our people are familiar with but we often misquote it the bible says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil you see, we misquote that many times. We say, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's the love of it. It's that love of it. So many of us have, and we don't want to admit it. So many of us have it, and, and we even get frustrated about messages like this. I can't tell you how many times somebody's gotten angry because a pastor talked about finances. They don't want to hear that. And I, I feel a little bit better when Jesus preached on it. The man left. Even he couldn't seem to get that across to him, so I'm not bothered about that. (laughs) For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed The good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Interesting thought. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11 Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry but to abound and to suffer need both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know that great verse we talk about so much? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is in the context of understanding what it is to be full and what it is to be hungry. What it is to understand contentment. It is something that we learn. It doesn't come naturally because what comes naturally to us is a hunger of covetousness that we might have more and heap on more and we've explained it to ourselves. We've wrestled over this whole thing we've taught ourselves if only God would do more for me then I could do more for him God is a percentage kind of guy (laughs) so what do you mean preacher you're not doing anything for him now you won't do it then money doesn't change a person it, it accentuates who we are if you have a generous heart and you have little you'll have a generous heart when God blesses you with much If you're stingy right now because you have little, you'll be stingy with God when he gives you much. Money will only accentuate. It doesn't change us. It's the love of it that will kill us. The love of it. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is materialism. Now I know many of us, listen, part of the frustration, let me say it to you this way. The Bible says you are, listen, if you're here and you're born again and you're a Christian, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you qualify as a more than conqueror kind of person. And you have to ask yourself, why is it that I don't live that way if that's the case in your life? Many people are not living as though they actually are more than conquerors through Christ. And one of the reasons is we've allowed this thing of influence, may I say it this way, The monster of materialism to have its way in our life and we have not tamed it. But you have the ability to do that. You have the ability to live beyond that. You have the ability to be more than a conqueror through Christ. In this area of your life. But I'm going to tell you one of the struggles we have. We try desperately to prove God wrong in that verse of scripture. We tell ourselves and we convince ourselves we can serve God and mammon at the same time. We can do this. I know Jesus said it can't be done, but somehow I think I can do it. Only we'll wind up frustrated and aggravated and we don't understand why things are going the way they're going. Why God said you're victorious but you're not living victoriously. Why God said he would give you peace and contentment of heart and you have no peace and contentment of heart. Why God said you're more than a conqueror, but you don't really feel like a conqueror. Instead, you feel like the conquered. And then I want you to see with me, last of all, in our outline, someone said, point four, finally, amen. (laughs) Hot dogs are not far away. (laughs) Just being real. (laughs) How he leaves. Notice how he leaves. The Bible said, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Sorrowful. I think it grieved his heart. He didn't quite understand. Because he had such a love for what he had. He had such a love. He, he, if he had to choose between following the Lord and those things. And, and again, somebody said, well now, it appears as though that, that God is, is anti-wealth. No, that's not what it means at all. As a matter of fact, I believe this. I think had he tried to do what he said, what Jesus told him to do, God would have blessed him with even more than he ever had. I, I just believe that. Because then he knew he could trust him with it may come as a shock to some of us, but some of us he can't trust with it. He just can't. Try. I know you're saying, Lord, yeah, you can. <laughs> just try me. You say, oh, I would never do that. Given the choice between following Jesus and, and, and following my own pursuit of, of affluence, I would never choose that over Jesus. Well, let me just put something in your head for a moment. Does it not happen repeatedly with God's people? Is it not true that we beg and beg God to bless us and then when he does bless us, we use those very blessings to avoid his house? Is it not true that we take what he has given to us and we turn around and we forget God? Is it not true that sometimes God has blessed our young people with athletic abilities and we take them all around the nation on the Lord's day because we think somehow that a, that a, a sports scout, an athletic scout can do more for our child when it comes to university than God can do? Is it not true that somehow we think God has blessed us with the ability to travel and so we travel ignoring the fact that it may be the Lord's day and and if you do travel you ought to be worshiping somewhere but no, 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 God has blessed us so we don't need to do that. You see now you're getting a little personal. It's actually all through the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 8 talks about it. May I show it to you? Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty land; there was no water, and brought who brought you uh, for uh, for you out of the who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end? Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You know, this is the reason people get mad at a preacher when he talks about money. Right here. Right here, because we say, Don't. Talk about what I have done. Don't, don't, get, don't get on this subject. I've worked hard for what I have. And you are absolutely right. You have. And I don't take that away from you. But if God had not blessed you, you would not have been able to do it. And I dare you to go home today and tell him otherwise. <laughs> get on your knees before him and say, God, I have what I have because I'm a mighty person. I have what I have because I'm intelligent. I have what I have because I made wise decisions. All of it is because of what I have done. You have had nothing to do with it. Now I'll pray for you. I'm not saying it's going to do much good, but I'm going to pray for you. You say, oh, I would never do that. No, I don't think you ever would. But sometimes we get things out of balance, don't we? My wife sometimes will ask me, what do you want for dinner right after I've eaten lunch? I'm full. I don't want anything. Now take me to the grocery store with you when I'm hungry and I'll find all kinds of stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'll buy stuff we don't need to buy. We never buy that. Well, let's, let's get it now. I'm hungry. There's something that happens to us when we are full. There's something that happens to us when we have been blessed. There's something that happens to us. And what happens to us is we forget that it's all because of God. I pray your, your barns will be filled with plenty. I pray you'd be overflowing with blessings. And I pray for you what Proverbs says can be yours. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your, your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I pray God's favor on you every single morning when I'm with God. I pray for you. I do. I pray for the people of East Point. I pray and I ask God to favor you and bless you. And I want to see that. But I also pray, don't forget him. Don't forget he's the one that did it. Don't leave him out. Bring him glory with what he's given you. Balance this thing out in your life. In concluding, I have but two thoughts to share. Number one, beware covetousness. And be content. Proverbs 23 verse 4 and 5 reads this way. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. You know, the truth of the matter is, the devil doesn't point out to you what you have. He will always point out to you what you don't have. There will always be somebody that has more than you have. There will always be somebody who has the latest, greatest thing. You can't walk out of the phone store without the next one coming out. (laughs) there will always be somebody who has something you don't have. So so find your worth in God, not in all these other things. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, I'll close with this. Let your your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe your prayer today would sound something like this. God, grant me peace of heart and mind. Help me to properly balance the things you have given me with your honor and your glory. Give to me that contentment. Bring to mind any covetousness that I may have going on. Help me just to live for you. If you're here today without Christ as your Savior, that's where it starts. Don't try to develop biblical money principles if you haven't entered a relationship with God. Do that first. And then let God's word speak and take over. Would you pray with me please? Father we come to you today and we ask you to bless. Lord I know that some of what I may have shared is difficult for people to hear. And Lord I pray that you'd forgive me if I've in any way presented anything incorrectly. But Lord, I ask that you do great things among your people here. Lord, I believe this is an area in our lives that we have to deal with. We cannot ignore it. God, help us. Help us that we would not be caught away in the current of the culture, always striving for more and more and more, failing to see what you've already given us, failing to thank you and praise you for what we have and instead we cast our eyes on what someone else has. God, I pray. I pray for your favor on your people but I pray that when we are full that we praise you and thank you for that fullness and we honor you with all that you have bestowed on us.